Hello, this is Janet Galling, welcoming you to Love Letters Live. And today's guest is Dr. Annabelle Bugatti. You know, Annabelle, I'm going to ask you to just say what you do. I, I've been reading about you and it's so multifaceted that, um, first of all, we're going to pick like one topic, but also um, you've just come out with a book on mm -hmm. empathy, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Why don't you tell us the name of the book and what it is that you do? So the name of my book is Using Relentless Empathy in the Therapeutic Relationship, Connecting with Challenging and Resistant Clients. And if you're watching this on video, the background is from my book. It's the cover of my book, actually. And uh, the book is on empathy, and it is geared towards therapists and mental health practitioners, lay counselors, but I've had doctors, nurses, CEOs. I even had my IT guy read it and he loved it. So, Good. so it's, it's not meant for the general population, although why not if they're interested? Yeah, in the general population absolutely can get something out of it. I've written kind of the nuts and bolts about attachment science, which helps anybody who has someone in difficult relationships. Okay. Now and are you, you're a, you're a psychotherapist? I am. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, aka psychotherapist with a private practice here okay. in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. I also train other therapists in the model of emotionally focused therapy. I'm a, a certified right. EFT supervisor and therapist. Let's let's zero in on something that seems I, I know it is one of the um, subjects that you've talked about that I read about. And I, it's just so interesting today. First of all, empathy and Empathy is not the same as compassion, the way you see it, right? Right. Okay, it's and, a separate. And empathy is not the same as being an empath. I, I saw people, that you said that, yes. People walk around saying, I'm such an empath, but being an empath just means that you feel the emotions of those around you. It doesn't necessarily mean that you show or display empathy for them. I see. Okay, well, that's good to know that kind of a difference. Let's talk about divorce. Mm -hmm. And, you know, more relevant now, maybe because of the pandemic. And I understand that the divorce rates are rising during this pandemic. I would have, I would have guessed the opposite, but no, my guesses are often wrong. And there, there are people who I guess are close to divorce and not being able to stay together any longer and being trapped in the same house was just too much. But there are some, <coughs> excuse me, some divorces, I know of one in particular, that was that are just a real shocker. Mm -hmm. And well, I don't know, I don't know what the stress and strain is, but I'd like you to talk about, you know, well, you talk about healing from divorce. Why don't you say something about that for starters? Well, divorce is something that's near and dear to my heart because it is something that I have experienced the pain of. And definitely not something that I ever thought I would be going through, especially when I got into marriage. And I have a lot of clients that also go through divorce or have gone through divorce. And it's helpful for them to know that somebody's not going to judge them for having gone through a divorce. And, you know, I really want to help couples either avoid the pain that I went through if their relationship can be saved by learning some of the myths you know, there's a lot of myths that I went into marriage with growing up in a very religious household and, you know, it was great in theory, but not in application. And well, let me ask you something though, at this point, 
there there's such a thing as not being, you know, having to deal with the outside world when you get divorced and how people look at you. Yes. But there's also, I'm kind of interested in the relationship between the two people during a divorce. And you hear some people talk about an amicable divorce. Yes. And my question is, you know, people get married for things that they love about each other. Hopefully. Right. And if they don't, then that's a whole other issue. Yes. But talk about what can make a divorce amicable. Well, this is something. So one of the things that I do help my couples with is sometimes couples come to me with the sole intention of going through a divorce amicably. They want to heal the wounds, kind of mitigate the, the baggage so that they can get through it amicably. And I'd say it's definitely more the rare occasion that a couple has an amicable divorce. Yes. And part of what happens with that is I see it, it seems like in divorces, there's oftentimes either one person that really wants it and one person that doesn't, or again, because of religious values, maybe you have two people that really want it, but they're afraid to say that they want it maybe openly because they're afraid of being judged by their family or maybe their church community or something. And so it feels like by some kind of societal standards, they have to come up with some really good reason as to why the divorce was necessary. Oh, Other- that used to be the, that used to be the case. You know, you see it in movies of that were made in the forties, the yes. reconcilable differences. Yes. And yes, absolutely. And so people have a really hard time just accepting that it's okay to decide that this marriage isn't working. It doesn't mean that you failed. It doesn't mean that the other person needs to be your enemy or you need to demonize them and you don't owe the rest of the world an explanation. It's okay. okay. So I, I want you to stop at that. You demonizing them mm-hmm. because you see that a lot. I I've seen friends go through, I, I can't even begin to describe how ugly and they are out really to skewer the mate. Well, and that goes along with having to come up with a reason as to why it happened. And this, again, that can either be because A, maybe I didn't want the divorce and my partner's the one that wants the divorce. So out of the pain that I feel, you know, I'm trying to find some reason why. So either they must be cheating or they must be horrible. It's like, if it's like people don't feel comfortable just owning their decision that the marriage just doesn't work, that it's not for them anymore. And being, well, it, used, it used to be the case that legally you had to have a reason. Right, right. And now it just feels more like to avoid judgment from peers or family. And so, you know, they, they, it's almost like they have to turn their partner into the bad guy in order to feel less guilty about wanting to end the marriage. And that's a terrible thing. And sometimes there are people who do very hurtful and destructive things that bring about divorce, but you don't have to make that person your enemy in order for divorce to so be. How do you, how do you go about not making that person your enemy when that person might be behaving in a way that is just horrible? You know, there's an attorney that I once knew about and he was advised. Um, it, it, the advice was to get him if you could. And he, he was on the side of men and his reputation was that the women got nothing. The men got everything. Mm-hmm. And he was a really destructive human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot how of that do you, comes how to... do you deal with, with couples mm-hmm. who really want to just do the other one in, or maybe those are not the people who come to you. 
those are usually not the ones that come to me. <laughs> but what would you say about those? With the ones that want to do the other one in, and a lot of it is also fed by attorneys. And yes. you know, I've actually had attorneys who were clients of going through divorce and they make terrible representatives in court because they, they know this, they know how things work. And it's like, they kind of bank on their partners, not knowing, but really, you know, when it comes to a situation like that, if, if there's no kids involved, you have to just decide to not be in contact with that person. You know, if you don't share children, you know, have the attorney. What about, what about, I've known, I've known couples, couple of couples who are divorced and they, they're best friends. Mm -hmm. They're very good friends. They have children. They don't have children. And somehow they were able to see that the marriage ended actually the, the two I'm thinking of it ended for sexual reasons, which was, and nobody blamed anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do, you, how do you, how do you teach somebody to have empathy for a spouse when a marriage isn't working? I think the, the best way to do that is for both people to come into acceptance that it's okay to end the relationship without having to make the other person the bad well, guy. I, I understand about that part, That's but the what, biggest what part. when you can do that, it's a lot easier to have empathy for the other person because they how stop. Do you, how do you get to that? Well, again, it's giving yourself permission that it's okay for me to have my feelings without making that person the bad guy. When I stop seeing them as the bad guy, it's a lot easier for me to start having empathy for them, especially if you know that, okay, we're kind of agreeing on things and we're able to decide that we make better friends. We just don't make great spouses for each other. Okay. That's a really good point because I've known, I'm sure we all have people who are wonderful parents and horrible wives, wonderful yeah. parents, awful husbands. Yeah. And it's not the same talent. Right. Well, it's like, you know, I love you as a human being. You're a terrific person. I just don't want to be married to you because I, maybe I can't rely on you or, you know, this or that. Do you see whole families together? Do you see husband and wife and children together? Sometimes I do. Sometimes. But I do specialize in couples work, which is a highly specialized these days. But it's, you know, when parents can decide to not blame each other and have more acceptance, it is night and day, a huge difference in being able to have empathy for the other person. So how do you, how do you get rid of the hatred first before you get to the empathy? I guess you have to do one first. Well, I think the first part is not having to go into hatred. And a lot of this can be fed by attorneys who will try to jump in, you know, so usually when couples come to me they're already both kind of mutually in a place of we're questioning as to whether or not this can work. And we don't want to hate each other. Nobody's cheated. Nobody's done drugs. Um, you know, I think when both people are fairly productive human beings, it's a lot easier when there's no affairs or anything. And then they can kind of decide how to navigate it. If their lawyers are kind of feel fueling fire, they can kind of decide to eliminate the attorneys and just kind of self-file. Wouldn't that be nice without the attorneys if they could? And it's absolutely totally possible, especially here in Nevada. I mean, this is the land of quickie divorce. Your divorce can go through in a few days to, you know, two weeks. And, you know, if the couple is able to agree on things, there's not really a reason to have attorneys who may have their own agenda, who may have their own wounds. And so they're kind of, that's, that's easier. That's easier to do when there's not big money involved. 
Right. Or if the couple can, if they both amicably agree and they're willing to put it down on paper, then it's just a matter of going to the bank and separating assets. Well, you know, oh yes. Knowing how to legally do that. If we're not at war over, you know, who gets the house and, and most of my couples that come to me that are amicable and are able to be friends aren't fighting over those kinds of things. And they're both right. people, they both care about the welfare of the kids and they both desire not to hate the other person. So they don't come in already like with this hatred towards their partner. I think once they already come in with that hatred, it can be really hard to get them back to the other side unless they're able to really work through the wounds that they have you, and why. You give, do you give sometimes actual advice? My question is, I've known a, a, two couples I can think of and there was a great deal of hatred and I mean, you know, justified or not, there it was. And I have seen two mothers um, lace into their kids and say, you're just like your father. Mm -hmm. And it's just heartbreaking because that child knows that the mother hates the father. Mm -hmm. That child knows that he's 50% genetically the father. Oh, well, then she hates me. Yeah. That's not, a how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I'm like like saying don't ever do that again. Well, in therapy, you address that impact. And when you have both the child and maybe the parent who's saying these things in the session, then it's easier to help them kind of turn and, and recognize the impact, looking at the child's face, hearing the pain in their voice. Just often, even as a society, when we wound or hurt someone, we're not willing to turn and look at the impact of our behavior on them. And when we turn away from that impact, we're not able to be impacted by the consequences of our own decisions. We're empathetic, of course. Exactly. Yeah. You have to be able to feel in order to have empathy and to be empathetic. But if you're constantly turning away from pain or feeling from others, then you're kind of closing that channel. Well, let me ask you something because I've, you know, I am about love letters Absolutely. and it seems to me, do you ever, have you ever written letters? Absolutely. Letter? Absolutely. Can love you talk letters. About that? Actually. And um, so I'm going to be getting remarried. So I've, as oh. I've talked about, I've, I've gone through the pain of divorce myself and, and I want couples to know that it doesn't have to be, you don't have to turn to another statistic where you're just doomed for divorce, 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 you can reclaim your love life and have amazing relationships. And so my fiance, you know, we've been friends for 14 years and we had secret feelings for each other a long time ago, but never had the courage to share with each other. So our lives kind of went different directions and we always both kind of regretted not having told the other how we felt and kind of promised to ourselves if we ever became single again and had the chance to tell each other how we felt that we would just seize the moment. And we did. And well, here we are. And so he goes to work and I write little post, I write love letters on posted notes and put them in his lunch. And when oh, I good. Do, okay. So he supplied them in his pockets and, oh yeah. And I remember, you know, my first husband was in the military. We were like 18. Um, no wonder why that one failed. We weren't married at 18, but we were engaged at 18, fresh out of high school. And he went uh, into the military and he was in boot camp. And back then, this was before the internet was really a big thing. We didn't have email. So you had to write letters via snail mail, the old fashioned way. So right. we used to write love letters to each other. And Do you yeah. still have those? Uh, somewhere, I think, in a keepsakes box and in, in no, high school. You know, I'm, I'm asking because sometimes, you know, in a relationship, you look back. And you think, 
I'm not talking about yours or even a, a relationship that turned into a marriage, but just a ro- an early romance. And yeah. you look back and you think, what did I ever see in that person? If you have the letters that you wrote mm-hmm. or you can get a hold of them, you can learn a lot about yourself because those letters contain the truth. You might not feel the same, yeah. but it's the truth about how you felt then. And I- those truths don't have to change. It's, I don't think it's so much about what did I see? It's what did I see that I was, that I was ignoring? That's more of the, Oh, hello, red flags. Yes, exactly. Hey, can I knit you a red uh, sweater out of all those red flags that you're ignoring? So I have another question about love letters because I think it's, I think they are so valuable and I call a love letter, any letter that has to do with another person's wonderful qualities. And by the way, are you watching that Love Letters movie on Netflix that came out? No. Yeah, I think it's called The Last Love Letter, some, something like that. It's in- Oh, I'll go look for it. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there, there's something so valuable about writing a love letter to your ex-spouse mm-hmm. saying, you know, wishing that person well yes. and maybe recounting all the things that you did love. So yeah. you get to end the relationship bathing in the positive. Yeah. You get to let somebody else off the hook. And this is this, I think that can be so beautiful. Sometimes it's painful for the other partner, you know, when they're like, well, if you loved me so much, how come you didn't stay? But I think it's, you know, sometimes a good question. Right. And even if the marriage didn't work out, doesn't mean that there weren't beautiful memories that will always be treasured and valued and honored and respected. And there's no and why not put them down on paper. And by the way, mm-hmm. when you're when your children, should you have children mm-hmm. or grandchildren find this years later, you say you've got them somewhere, you know, they get unearthed at yes. some point in life. Yes. And what a wonderful legacy to know that you came from that kind of love and understanding. Absolutely. If you had to to write a love letter right now, who would it be to? Oh, it'd be to my- And I know it's not a one-shot deal. What? Uh, Probably both. I mean, I've been wanting to write a letter to my ex, you know, because he was a really wonderful man. And this this goes back to, you know, helping couples know that just because the marriage didn't work out doesn't mean that you can't honor and respect and give place to the beautiful memories. And so just kind of like closing off that door to say, you know, I really thank you for, you know, the wonderful memories that we had, you know, big monumental moments in life that will forever be with me. And I don't want you to feel like because it didn't work that you will be forgotten or, you know, oh, that's beautiful to say that. my life, you know, so it's just I hope, kind of I hope you do that. I hope yeah. you do that. Yeah, it's more of a oh. thank you letter than a I love you letter, but a, a thank you. Well, letter. a good thank you note is a love letter. Yes, yes. Sure. And you know, to my to my soon to be husband, you know, you know, I and I do kind of write this on his post-its every day. I never stop telling him and thanking him for just being the incredible man that he is, being the safe place and always giving me this sense that he has my back, that he's there for me and helping me feel like I can be the truest form of myself and that. I'm loved for being me and that I don't need to be somebody else in order for, to receive his love. And, you know, I've, I've always seen love letters, a good love letter as a wonderful way to to usher someone out of your life Mm -hmm. in a wonderful way. Oh, I'm so, I hope you do that. (laughs) Thank you. I hope you do that. And 
uh, you know, what else, what else could you say about, about couples who, well, I think they should give themselves permission to write love letters, no matter how long they've been married and never stop writing love letters. You know, when you giving someone a card for their birthday, write them a love letter or for Valentine's day, those are free. And they, they have such a tremendous ability to affect so much warmth in a relationship and it shouldn't matter how long you've been married. Yes. I, I have, I have a friend who wrote a love letter to her present husband's ex-wife to thank her for letting him go to thank him for giving him the boot Mm -hmm. and, and somehow acknowledging, and I thought this was just great somehow acknowledging, as she said, that you have somehow trained him Mm -hmm. to be exactly the kind of husband that I want. Mm -hmm. You know, he learned a lot in his marriage. Mm-hmm. And and she acknowledged the ex-wife's part in that. There's just no end to what people can do in a letter. And it's your history and your own handwriting. You know, I think what would be so neat is for people to send you all their different types of love letters and you create an anthology and you have different types of love letters where they're like goodbye letters or letters written to the partner of somebody you're with. Or, you yes. Know. And they're and they're a great way to flirt, you know, when you've got if when you're single and you want to invite somebody into your life, that can take some bravery. Do you ever talk to your clients about that? About Absolutely. Absolutely. We're all about, you know, healing after divorce and how to get back on the horse and, you know, how to let your heart open and to love others. And, you know, I was just thinking about there's a movie, I think it's called a safe place. I don't know. I, I think it's called a safe place. And, um, one, the girl in the movie was escaping a, an abusive relationship and she hides out in some small beach town, I think in Georgia or something. Oh, I was Julia Roberts. Not with Julia Roberts. Oh, no, not, not sleeping with the, yeah, not sleeping with the enemy. Right. Okay. <laughs> no, this, I think it had Julian It's <laughs> a younger blonde actress That's and okay. it has Fergie's ex-husband in it. And um, Josh something or other, Josh Dumal. Anyway, it's a really cute movie. And so she's escaping an abusive relationship, hides out in a small town. And there's this woman who befriends her. And no, like, you don't realize till the end, sorry for the spoiler, that the woman is actually the ghost of the man she befriends. And it's the deceased wife. And she actually leaves a letter for her for the future partner of whoever... Okay, I'm going to look for that. That ends up being her. And it's a beautiful letter. And she's basically saying, take care of him. He's a good man. Obviously, you're special. And, you know, it's it's amazing. That's wonderful. No, I think it's beautiful. People think that love letters are only to a current partner. They don't know that you can write these letters to somebody, you know, like, if you know that you are going to, unfortunately, not survive a terminal illness, you know, you can write letters to the future partner of whoever loves your partner. It's like, take care of them. You can write letters to, you know, past friends. You can write letters to anybody at all. And I think, you know, in the work that you do, they can contribute to such healing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I just love the one that you're going to write. Yes. (laughs) I want to thank you for doing this with me. Absolutely. Well, thank you. You know, I love, I love love. I love romance. And I think 
people are too quick to dismiss it and the power of it. And we need more of it with so much bad stuff going on in the world. We need more of this stuff. We need more love letters. So thank you. And more empathy. And, you know, I have one, one other quick question because I think it's something that people consider when they're looking at others who have divorced. Do you think people go to ending a marriage too quickly sometimes when it could be? I do think that a lot of people are, not super keen on doing the work that needs to be done to save uh-huh. a relationship. I mean, the statistics show that people who do put the work in are a lot happier when they save the relationship versus people who get divorced. And divorce is painful, even when it's- Oh, I cannot imagine anything more stomach-churningly yes. horrible and ongoing, sometimes for years. Even when it's the right decision, it is still extremely painful by yeah. far one of the hardest decisions you will ever make in your adult life. And so if that pain can be avoided, if a relationship can be healed, but it takes work. And a lot of people, especially in this instant gratification society, just don't feel like they should have to put in that kind of work that it's some kind of a bad sign. And so they're more quick to avoid and abandon relationships because they think having to work on it is a bad thing. And then, you know, our daughters are raised on stories like Cinderella and Romeo and Juliet, who, if they had lived longer, what would he have been like at 40 and what would their marriage, you know, you just, so we're, we're raised somehow on kind of a false. With Romeo and Juliet. I mean, he loved her so much that he He was was, 15. He was willing to die for her. I mean, that's pretty serious. You know, I don't know too many partners that love their spouse enough that they'd be willing to set their life aside for, but you know, and then, then there was, then there was Cinderella and Prince Charming. Yeah. you know, and we don't know. So, you know, we're raising- anything worth having is worth working on in any value you're going to have to work at. If it's, if it's cheap and easy and easily replaced, it's not very valuable. And well, that's such a good point. And if it's easily replaced, what does that say for the next relationship that you've found somebody t- that you can get to replace a person so easily. Exactly. And what does it say about how you allow yourself to really connect and work on relationships? If you just easily replace people, it says you're not really getting attached and you're not really valuing relationships because you're not willing to put hard work into them. Oh, that's a huge concept. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I never thought of that. About oh, yeah. What does it say about you if you just, yeah. if you can just easily replace somebody? And yes. And this is so fed to us and nurtured by society too, because everything is replaceable now, right? We're not taught to work on things. It's if it breaks, if it starts to go out, you just get a new one. Oh, well, you know, and this yeah. has led over into relationships. Okay. So that, that scene in Fiddler on the Roof, where he says, do you love me? That's kind of a banner lesson right there, isn't it? Yeah. 25 years. Okay. Thank you. You're I welcome. You, I wish you just happiness and beauty in your new marriage and your whole life. Thank you so much. And you as well. And thank you for the show that you do. It's so exciting. And, and I love it. Talk about love letters some more. Yes, because because they just work magic. And I want to just say that here's something I, I hear people say all the time when they've done something regretful or they wish for something. Oh, I wish I had a magic wand. And here's my answer to that. You do. You have a magic wand. It is the pen with which you write love letters, with which you write down your hopes. Mm -hmm. And there's always some place to send it. Mm -hmm. And I had one person, a guest many years ago, she decided to write a love letter to the man (laughs) she knew she was going to marry. 
She hadn't met him, Mm -hmm. but it was dear, whatever it was, I forget how. And I know this about you. And she wrote down every wonderful thing that she knew this man would have. And I said, just mail it to yourself, put it, put dear, dear future. Mm -hmm. Don't open it. And when you meet him, just hand it to him. Yeah. You know, there's so many things to do. Okay, honey, I'm going to let you go. And they give it to, or even some men who have done it and they end up giving it to their spouse on their wedding night. It's like, oh, and it's so touching. And and just the way when they read it, amazing. Yes. And handwriting. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for doing this with me. And I hope we'll talk again at some point. Absolutely. Thank you. For now, we'll just say goodbye. Bye, everyone. Bye.